Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falconstein for Falcon Screen, and we are joined by freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. Hello, people. And Captain America impersonator Chris Evans. Only from time to time. And we have a special guest joining us from the Social Film Network, Debbie Jell. Debbie, it is great to have you back on the show. Thank you for having me again. So we're recording, uh, we like to do on-location records, and we're at a new location this time, and that is Event Cinemas on George Street. And we have found a little nook full of cushions and pillows right next to what I think is The Last Jedi, and it's it's really great here. Yeah, it is uh, the end of Event Cinemas, not the world, but we're here to give you a very on-location, on-the-set experience. Glenn, you, you neglected to mention the most important thing about Film Fight Club Corner here at Event Cinemas George Street. Not only are the walls and the beanbags that surround us Fifty Shades of Grey, but we are next to the poster for Fifty Shades Freed. Yes, uh, the new Fifty Shades of Grey film. You're really excited about it, aren't you? Well, I will be seeing it very shortly. We'll be reviewing it in an upcoming episode, something which will be quite an interesting discussion. As, as a marketing person, let me point out that the marketing for this movie is fantastic. I think the pun, do not miss the climax. They've really nailed it. I don't mind it. This week we're going to be talking about... We're talking about Phantom Thread, the new film by Paul Thomas Anderson, which is in cinemas now. We'll just be discussing our Oscar picks, because the Oscar nominations are out and the awards season is upon us. We will be discussing in a future week, in Oscars week, what we think will win, but this week is the exciting discussion because we're talking about what we think should win. But first, we are talking about Paul Thomas Anderson's latest film, Phantom Thread. This is starring Daniel Day-Lewis in what is ostensibly and hopefully not his final film role. He plays a dressmaker in 1950s London. He is joined by Vicky Creeps and Leslie Manville, who play two characters in his life. It is a beautiful film. It is a character study above all else. And it is one I'm very much looking forward to getting discussion of because I know one person here at least had some very strong feelings about it. Phantom Thread, I absolutely loved. For me, this film marks a big step forward for Paul Thomas Anderson, who's always been, I think, a very good director. But his films have been marked by, in my eyes, problems that stop them from reaching the greatness that they often seem just within reach of. His earlier films I found to be a little bit immature in their writing, showing a little bit of a lack of life experiences. And his latter films, I think, have been a little bit meandering. But in retrospect from this film, there were clear steps towards what he achieves here, which is a novelistic structure, a sort of series of not too related plot elements that build up to create, as you say, a very rich character portrait. I found this film to strike a really unique tone, and I think it's it's a true original, even as it evokes people like Bergman and Kubrick in the way that it creates this really elaborate character drama. It's a movie about contrasting tones. It's It can go to places that are twisted and dark, but it's also in a strange, complex way, very touching. What did you guys think of it? It's interesting, Chris, that you would make these points about it being some kind of intellectual character study, which is at once affecting, but also kind of building tension in that sense, because I didn't feel any of that. You know. Oh, that's a shame. I know. <laughs> I like to fight with you, Chris. I don't know why, but often you, it's always you, enjoyable. To yeah, have a, have because a you're just wrong. Film this uh, is film fight club, so this, <laughs> this this works. We've been a bit too much of like film hippie loving lately. Yeah, so it's let, good to bring the sparks back. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's all interesting to talk about Kubrick and Bergman and how it evokes these amazing directors in tone tonality. 
but often toned tonality. What does that even mean? But, you know, the point is uh, PTA, in trying to create some kind of intricate narrative, forgets to have the heart of the movie in the right place. I did not care about any of the characters. I think what the movie has going against it is that any, or actually all of the characters in the movie are despicable. And by that I mean I did not in any way felt that I could get behind any of them. There was no emotional center for this narrative to hold. For it to be actually a romantic film, which in a twisted way it is, but it was difficult for me to actually care about the romance. It wasn't established. I felt it was quite juvenile. But in the end, I would like to hear our other resident uh, critics' uh, opinions on this, because I've spoken a lot about this, and I keep fighting with Chris often enough. So I'll take the fighting um, <laughs> then over from Chris. Um, yeah, so what you were saying about the fact that you didn't really feel for the characters and didn't really empathise through them, so you didn't really buy into what was going through in the tarot study. So fair enough. Um, I think what um, makes this film so special is the fact that it's not what you expect. It's not one of those movies where you've seen the trailer, um, I can name a few in the Best Picture nominees. Yeah. Where, yeah. This movie takes some swerves. Yes, absolutely. Um, and it's beautifully crafted. Um, the characters aren't just, it's not just Daniel Day-Lewis's character, but it's also Vicky Creeps's, um character as well. And Leslie Manville. Oh my God, absolutely. she's so good. Yes, absolutely. The, the acting across the board in this is fantastic. And it's slow and it builds um, and you do, like, in my opinion, you do care about the characters, especially empathise with Vicky Crepes' character. Um, I think her character is like, you know, you tend to side with her probably more than Daniel Day-Lewis' character in a lot of respects because she's kind of like this innocent model kind of muse for him that you end up siding with her for a lot of the movie. Yeah, that's an interesting point to make. For the first half, I did care a lot about uh, Creeps' character, but then uh, in the second half, how that character actually turns, I'm not sure I buy that twist. But for a lot of people, that might be the selling point of the movie because you're quite right, it's beautifully crafted. Every frame is fantastic. The way the movie comes together, the way it looks, the way the tension is built, the way the first half and the crescendo of the narrative is executed, I think in that sense, it's performed brilliantly. You're quite right. I just, it just left me feeling very cold and detached. And that's a very personal feeling. It, it's still a very beautiful film. I think people should seek it out nonetheless. Well, actually, I did buy the twist. And I'm going to jump back to that in a sec. I'd just like to touch on um, what Chris and Debbie said regarding the performances. And they absolutely are phenomenal. I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis in everything he's ever done is compulsive and mesmerizing. And this is absolutely no exception. But my favorite was actually Manville with a placid glare with a look she can convey a stronger heft of emotion than almost anything else in this film regarding the twist um i feel there's he was playing a very strongly unsympathetic figure who tries to exercise order in his life but not so much control and i think that's a very important distinction which isn't often made in cinema there's a person who is in his routines in his superstitions is incredibly ordered but in a very strange and unique sense is willing to surrender control. And we see that in his relationship with his sister. We see that in his relationship with uh, Vic Creeps' character later in the film, which does lead to um, some of the more strange and quirky aspects, which I feel would, if it hadn't established his character so well, would come off as strange and just simply trying to um, shock. But having said that, the way they established it and did it, I was 
mesmerized. I was so interested and I was so glad to see how it turned out. Yeah, I stand with Debbie and Glenn regarding this because I actually was able to empathize with these characters. I think they, they do terrible things, but Paul Thomas Anderson hasn't, in my eyes, lost the warmth with which he regards his characters. I think this movie is a dark satire of the way that relationships can work. It's drawn from real things. It's just a, a crazy, in many ways quite funny in how dark and weird it gets, exaggeration. I thought, as Glenn was saying, that despite all his neurotic tics and uh, the way that he can be cruel to other people, Reynolds was well drawn enough that I could believe him and I could see his heart and his pain. It's an interesting point that Glenn made about the distinction between order and control because that distinction is where the film hinges about how you interact with the characters in the film, the three main characters as you would find out, and all three try to exact control over their surroundings in their own ways. And it's interesting where initially we are on the side of Creeps' character because we feel that her character has no control, but at the same time it's interesting to see what PTA does with that kind of agency in bringing it back. And I'm not sure I bought it, but I was interested to see how that kind of often that kind of gaslighting moment happens in a lot of cinema and how a lot of male directors write female characters, but this didn't do that. I'm not sure I bought it, but, but I was still very, very intrigued by how that agency was brought about by Creeps' character in the second half. And that twist, I'm not sure it lands, but I was still interested. It's intriguing. I still need to know where I sit with it entirely. Yeah. Completely fair, um, and I think that I think the agency. It depends whether you find that convincing enough. Particularly, I remember watching an interview with Paul Thomas Anderson, and he's saying that an inspiration for him was when he was lying in bed sick, um, and his wife, like Maya Rudolph, she looked at him in a way that he never seen her look at him before in that way. And I thought that was a really interesting thing to draw upon um, in the movie, and kind of gives more perspective in terms of the the balance of the characters so you definitely see creeps's character you know twist like turn into something that you don't expect to but i think it also shifts into something else after yeah that. i agree with that i think this is a film that really looks at what it is to love people at their worst and at their lowest whether that be physically or mentally the real challenges of making a relationship work, you know, in difficult and dark times. I don't think there have been enough films about that. So despite how dark it is and how much I think PTA's poking fun at it, I think he has a very almost, you know, romantic message that is quite sincere and is quite, in a weird way, optimistic. And I, th I think the, this movie's weird belief in love strikes such a contrast that um, to me made it really powerful because the rest of the film is such a dark vision of where we are as humans, the way that the media works, the way that class works, the way that we hurt each other. I felt by the end of this like I was seeing the little light shining through that makes living worthwhile. I was really, really moved by this film. I was too, and picking up on your comment about how this is a reflection of the media and how we see ourselves today, one thing I found really interesting about it, but I don't think a lot of people are writing this really commentating on, is that we're in a moment in talking about film and the industry and society more general, where we have to discuss how we see the art versus the artist and the relationship between the two. This is a film about an artist who is in many senses, as I said, not a sympathetic character who like many directors and many filmmakers, many creators, literally weaves elements of himself into his art. And it questions in one hand, 
of my point of view, how we can appreciate his beautiful art, his creation and dresses when we see what he does. But at the same time, that same dilemma comes up in a very interesting sequence in the film where he makes a dress for a person who does not acquit herself in a manner that he believes is appropriate and then wants to divorce any association between himself and this character. And I found that really interesting, particularly in the context of the discussions we are having today. And that scene does a really nice trajectory from you know, sort of comedy to tragedy, which is, for me, showing what this film and what PTA does at, at their best. With respect to what you were talking about of the art and the artist, I think this film would be really an interesting double feature with Mother because it touches on the same kinds of themes about destructive male ego, but this film goes in a different direction because it's a female lead that has much more agency than what we saw in Mother. So it's, it's about relationships as opposed to just one-sided suffering. That's an interesting point you make, Chris, about that. Because even though it may look like I'm against this film, I'm actually wrestling with a lot of ideas that film proposes. It's very rich. And in that sense, I think this gave me a lot to chew upon than Mother did, because Mother was this extremely simplistic dichotomy between uh, the art and the artist, whereas this film doesn't offer that simplistic solution. I think this film offers quite multifaceted responses and often challenges you of what you think is morally right or wrong in that situation. And it is actually quite an interesting dilemma because often films passively feed you a lot of these responses, but this film actively asks you to participate in this couple's interactions. So you're often siding with one or the other at different points in the film, and you're just sitting there passively taking the movie in. You are often either with Woodcock or with his wife or the sister. So all three characters, at some point, you do take their side, and often at some point you think they're also equally bad. And this kind of layering of each character is very interesting. I'm not sure I bought all of it, but I still did feel I wrestled with a lot of the content in this movie, and that's a good thing. Yes, absolutely. I I find that really interesting because with Mother, I actually... I liked it quite a lot, but I liked it more because of its ideas that I found were unpacked but weren't really executed in the way that this movie does it so exquisitely. I think this one, um, with the balance of the characters, like the fact that you side with each of the characters, I think that's what gives it a bit of an edge over Mother. I think with Mother it's so kind of all of these kind of allegories and um, themes about celebrity culture and art and artists and all of these things are kind of just pushed in here. Um, This is a, a lot more subtle. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I completely agree. Um, it, it is subtle in that respect, but it is unsubtle in some respects. And this is the one major issue I took with this film. Uh, Woodcock, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis's character, he at many points in the film has to become agitated and angry. And Paul Thomas Anderson, who also wrote the screenplay, has very simply one way of indicating this, and that is using an expletive, which I can't use on radio. It starts with F. Um, I think we all know what we're talking about, but that is the one way he signals this instance in the film, and that did frustrate me quite a bit. You mean fun. The expletive <laughs> is fun. There F-U-N. Were, there were definitely shades of the master in you know, the struggle for control and then the explosive, you know, the, the really refined manners being replaced by explosive bursts of expletives. I, I think we really need to point out just how amazing this film is aesthetically. I felt it's so sensuous. There's really gorgeous close-ups all throughout this film, which I think get at how Reynolds is so obsessively focused on small details. And the use of color, the arrangements of characters in the frame, I think were all really beautiful in an understated way, which did make me think of Stanley Kubrick. Films like Barry Lyndon and Eyes Wide Shut, 
Um, and also Johnny Greenwood's score is beautiful. The combination of these images with that score is just sublime to take in. He's become a master stylist. This is a nice segue into whether Phantom Thread should win an Oscar for costume design. Yes, but we'll, we'll get to that later. Talking about that very, very soon. soon. Phantom Thread is in cinemas now. It is one of the nine films nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Um, we, I think we all have our favourite. Um, we all, Phantom we all Thread. Get a Phantam Thread. Is, is Phantom Thread your favourite, I think it might be. It's, it's either that or Call Me By Your Name. Mine would be... I've been struggling, struggling with this. And now, as of yesterday, having seen Lady Bird, seen all nine, I would say I judge an Oscar Best Picture film, and the same reason I had a way up La La Land and Moonlight last year, two completely different films as to what is the better film in its genre. And for me, Moonlight was the better film within its genre. Um, by the same token, Call Me By Your Name and Get Out are both two spectacular films within their genre. And while well, I adore Get Out and what it does for comedy horror, which isn't usually appreciated, and certainly, certainly an Oscar level, Call Me By Your Name was just so involving and mesmerizing on multiple levels. I may have to give it to Call Me By Your Name. Call Me By Your Name is beautiful. Yeah, I'm probably going to go with Phantom Thread or Dunkirk. So I'm going to bring back the Dunkirk, which disappeared after the conversation after six months. Um, but I think it's still one of the most spectacularly directed movies that we've seen. And I know this is best picture, but I think generally it it takes a moment of time and does something so unique um, in that point in time, I think. So Do you think that it's gonna be difficult with Dunkirk? We've seen it with a lot of films like happened with Mad Max a few years ago where something that isn't a release in Oscar season may not fare as well be as much part of the conversation. Do you think that's gonna be an issue or do you think Dunkirk might just be able to rise above that? I think it'll be an issue, definitely. I think it's been an issue with Christopher Nolan. Um, it's his first nomination in the direction category, but I think if we were if it was released closer, I think he'd be more in the conversation because it's spectacular. I'll say of Mad Max, Mad Max actually did spectacularly well for an action movie re- released in any month. So sometimes that can work for the movie because the Oscar voters get to get the push when the movie comes officially to DVD and Blu-ray and Netflix as it is these days. Maybe another thing that'll work against it and full disclosure, I haven't watched Darkest Hour, so it's the only Oscar-nominated Best Picture movie I haven't seen yet. But you haven't it, missed out, Chris. It, 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 it's my least favorite of the Best Picture nominees. I'll just say that. Yeah, hearing all of that is the reason I didn't bother. But maybe it'll work against Dunkirk that there's two Best Picture nominees that are, are kind of about Dunkirk. <laughs> okay, let me let me run through. <laughs> good, good point, Chris. But <laughs> but let me let me run through the nominees here and what I think about it because there are not many choices left for me now. I hate Call Me By Your Name. Probably the only person on the planet who hates you, Call you Me are, By Your Name. You, you are, you are. Yeah, hate is indeed a very strong word. Okay, so let's go to the nominees here, right? Best picture. I don't have many choices left. Now, I hate Call Me By Your Name. And probably the only person on the planet who hates Call Me By Your Name. I think you are. <laughs> Ouch. But, you know, so that's out. Darkest Hour. Now, that was some post-colonial gobbly-wash, which I cannot digest for any number of reasons. So people know my opinions on that quite clearly. So that's out as well. Dunkirk, there was one good scene in that movie, which was that shelling moment. But apart from that, that was also pretentious gobbly-wonk. Get Out. Well, shut the door. You know, get out of there. Uh, I've never heard some of the words you're using tonight, <laughs> right? I'm not sure they actually are words, but I applaud you for working them into this segment nonetheless. <laughs> Look, I, I'm just trying to... I'm very passionate about these terrible films, obviously. We, we, we get a, a trademark gobbledygook there. <laughs> <laughs> gobbledygook. Now, these are the ones which are left, which sort of get slightly better. Lady Bird, I love. We'll talk about that. That's one of my... That's my pick. That's my pick. We're talking about, uh, we'll talk about that, that next week. Next week. 
Phantom Thread we just talked about, so I'm not going to talk about it again. The Post was, oh my god, oh my god, journalism is so important, morality and blah blah blah, and Meryl Streep gets a nom- nom- nomination, uh, but you know, it's all people looking serious at TV screens, it's annoying as well. I think you just coined another phrase, which is nom nom nomination, <laughs> which is what <laughs> Meryl Streep says when she looks at a script like this, she's just like, more nominations, nom 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 nom. She, she lives in a garbage bin with all her Oscars. We have to give it to Meryl Streep, the best supporting actress category, or best actress category, sorry, 21 nominations. Good for her. Yes, but no, sorry, 21 non nom nominations. <laughs> there we go. So, and then there is The Shape of Water, which is no shape because it's fluid. It's a state. It's not really a film. And then there are three billboards, which really weren't that many billboards to begin with. We're now, There's only three. We're, we're now so arguing annoying. about the composition of water <laughs> and the shape of billboards. Honestly, that's the only thing I can say about the film. Chris and I hated that film. Look, there are pretty, in my eyes, an uninspiring list of nominations where for, there's a bunch of mediocre to pretty good movies and somehow um, two great ones have snuck in, Phantom Thread and, and Call Me By Your Name, which I think are like great, great, great movies we're going to talk about, about as great cinema 10 years from now. And the best the rest of them get to is just like pretty good. And a lot of these films seem like The Emperor's New Clothes to me. I think it's all a matter of timing and playing buzz right. I feel like that w- that way about things like Three Billboards and The Shape of Water, which I don't think would be receiving anywhere near the level of conversation they're getting if they hadn't been released in the months they were released in and given the big film festival push that they're receiving. Chris, you mean the two films are not Call Me By Your Name and, you know, the other one. It is Ladybird and Phantom Thread. We're pretty morose about this year. I mean, I quite like... We talked about The Shape of Water. I did quite enjoy it. I think... Debbie, you quite liked it too. It's no, she she hated it. I think. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I just wish you hated it as much as I did. Um, So, Shape of Water for me was quite. um, It's a nice film, and I can see why it would win Best Picture this year, just because it pleases everyone. It's one of those movies, but I think like Three Billboards. I haven't seen Three Billboards. That's the one film I haven't seen. Yeah. But man, like comparing Call Me by Your Name and Phantom Thread to uh, The Shape of Water. Doesn't Shape of Water just feel like it was written by a six-year-old with regard to the love? Like, there's no depth to the to the way that this relationship is depicted at all. Well, I thought a lot of the plot line, like the plot devices and all of that felt very conventional and there was nothing really special about... Like, there was no surprises. I think that's... It was such a contrast to Phantom Thread because Phantom Thread was such a film that surprised you and was unexpected and Shape of Water was everything that you expected it to be, especially its messages about love and the political climate and et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's beautifully directed, but I think and it looks good and it's very stylistic, but I think beyond that, it's not amazing. Well, I, my vote is definitely in Koi By Your Name, which actually leads us quite nicely into the next category, which is leading actor. Timothy Chalamet, who is also in Lady Bird, is nominated for Koi By Your Name. He may very well take it out, but I think Oldman, as flawed as the film was in Darkest Hour, may just have had the best performance. I think he probably will and probably should take out Mr. Axe this year. He's had an amazing career behind him and many, many other great films and he's never won before and I think it's probably about time. I'm going to make a controversial choice, maybe not that controversial. Uh, DDL, in his uh, final role, apparently, in Phantom Thread, was fantastic. And I know it's a cliche that he's a great actor, but... He is a great, 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 great actor. Yeah, it's true. He is just pretty darn good, so I guess he deserves it. Uh, Everyone else was pretty uninspiring, from my opinion, in that list. Uh, You know, they're good films, but in terms of standard performances, DDL stands a legion apart. Daniel Kaluuya, Get Out, not a fan? Get Out. That was a good movie, but performance-wise? Oh. Yeah, I, I think positioning that as one of the best performances of the year is kind of weird. 
He had some nice moments of it, but strange to me. Dan, has anyone seen uh, Roman J. Israel Esquire ever anywhere? Was it released in Australia? Well, not that I know of yet. Yeah, actually, yeah, we, we're shortchanging uh, good old Denzel because, you know, he's, my, he's fantastic. So we have to see it. I haven't but seen it, it. It's a weird one that shows how powerful Denzel is with the Academy because no one liked this movie. Is he the new Meryl Streep of the Oscars? It's definitely looking that way now. Well, maybe we should talk about leading actress for a bit. Sally Goldberg <laughs> is nominated for Shape of Water and Francis McDormand for Three Billboards. Though I th- as much as I enjoyed Swasi Ronan and the Lady Bird and Meryl Streep is... Shersha. Shersha Ronan. I'm sorry, I meant the second. Shersha Ronan and Meryl Streep in the post. I don't think she will win or should win. Uh, Margot Robbie and I, Tonya. She was just spectacular in that role. She transformed herself, not just in terms of dialects, but in terms of the physical strain and uh, necessities of that role and I know it's her first nomination she might not take it out but I think she might just deserve it this time Itonio is an interesting snub no best picture nomination no I mean uh, from the kind of best picture nominees you could definitely swap any of those out and put Itonio in and it would definitely make a much stronger list and next up we have Another one that's been snubbed is the Florida Project, though it has garnered a Best Supporting Actor nomination for Willem Dafoe. Now, Debbie, I know you saw this one. You were, you were quite a fan. Yeah, a big fan of it. And I thought, um, I think a lot of the performances have been overlooked or just the film itself because it's seen as this kind of improvised, um, authentic on set. It experience? Had, in my opinion, it had such a strong directorial vision and it had tons of amazing performances. Willem Dafoe is great, but the, the mother and daughter in that film deserve recognition, especially when there's a weak Best Actress field this, this year. Absolutely. And Brooklyn Prince, I think, winning the, the Young Critics Award definitely should have been up in their contention. Um, there was one scene that they filmed and you could see um, it was like a behind the scenes version of her crying um, at that door and she just could not stop her emotions spiralling in that moment and I think that really depicted for me just the amount of effort and amount of dedication that she put into her performance. My pick for Best Supporting Actor is the very controversial film uh, All the Money in the World, Christopher Plummer. He was pretty darn good uh, and given the short notice that what he had to do in that film he was very good in that movie. He was very good in it but at the same time it's hard not to feel like nominations for that film are courtesy nominations. Yeah, I feel this was an interesting thriller. I don't think this seriously merited much as much of the awards consideration as it got. Uh, Christopher Plummer was great. I don't think he was as enjoyable as he was. I don't think he was so exceptional profound as to merit a Best Supporting Actor nomination uh, who did definitely uh, merit a Best Supporting Actress nomination was Leslie Manville on Phantom Thread who had very much like to win but I feel Alison Janney may still have had the better performance though Laurie Metcalf as Brett will attest was just superb in Lady Bird I'm all aboard this Lady Bird train I'm sorry I'm a, I'm being a very wanky critic right we'll now, ride you know? the Lady Bird train well into next <laughs> week I think yeah because so. you know I, I'm picking Laurie Metcalf as a supporting actress and also Greta Gerwig for best director there you go let's m- speaking of which yes best director Greta Gerwig is nominated Sean Baker was not which I think is a big crime but yeah. uh, we don't know who necessarily will when I feel Greta Gerwig is in with a chance, I feel Guillermo del Toro. For the oh Shape yeah, Water no, I think it's almost superb. definitely he's going to win because I think they've been giving the director nomination to the big visually um, over the top, big production design movies lately. And I think Guillermo del Toro fits that trend. Um, I think it's a crime that uh, the beautifully directed Call Me By Your Name wasn't nominated. I think if Shape of Water wins Best Picture, I think there's a possibility that director might not go to del Toro. I have a... I have, yes. I think that then it might be Gerwig or it might be Jordan Peele. The young blood. Given this, yeah, climate, given this climate, people are going to want to absolutely. reward the young blood. Yeah. 
It's an interesting point you raise about what is actually good direction. Are we looking at these grand sets, big visuals, or are we looking at more intimate stories? And I really feel this is the year for the intimate story to win because often I think a lot of that tension, that's difficult to direct. And I feel good direction should be rewarded, whether it is a big visual set or even a small intimate story. I feel we can reward both. And if we are, Dunkirk would be the choice. It has intimate stories, but it has the grand sweeping scale. And picking up what Debbie said, I think this is one, particularly for his first nomination, that might just merit a very well-deserved, long-deserved win. It's hard to describe what great directing is, as you were just saying, but for me, it's seeing all the elements come together, you know, harnessed together at once. I really felt that in a film like Call Me By Your Name, but I feel like people who don't understand what directing is as much, or don't put as much thought into these things to sound like a complete snob, would, uh, you know, look at that film and just say, oh, it's just postcards of Italy, and not see how it's the movement of the people in the frame, the way that they move, that they move into close-ups, the way that the music is integrated into it. Speaking of all of that, I need to go back to what we discussed earlier in Phantom Thread. All of that was on another level. Surely that's the best directed film in this list. And I think his nomination was one of the biggest surprises of the list altogether, which was a very good surprise, which is very unexpected for the Oscars. Yes, Phantom Thread does all of those type of elements and brings them all together. I mean, my opinion is that Christopher Nolan does that with Dunkirk as well, with sound, with his cinematography, with just how unique and special he chooses to to depict that moment in time. But yeah, absolutely. So you, you must look at like the the big scale of things, but also I think you know Greta Gerwig's Lady Bird. Um, it's very intimately directed, um, and sh- you're able to feel the heart and the soul of that movie. And I think that is also really important when you're kind of measuring what good direction is as well. I would be very happy if she did win for Lady Bird. I think we could go on and discuss the Oscars and for, so long, for yeah. so long, but we're going to have to leave it there. We, we will be back next week talking about Black Panther and Lady Bird. Debbie, it has been absolutely fantastic to have you on. You can see Debbie's work on the Social Film Network. Thank you so much for having me again. And we'll be back next week from Event Cinema's George Street and these wonderful plush cushions in the Fifty Shades of Grey poster. The Fifty Shades of Grey Film Fight Club corner. Good night. Fifty Shades Freed.